Tharp and David Lundrum from Landscape Alaska. We're talking about gardening and landscaping and horticulture. We can all go on tour together and go out and look at things because it is blooming like mad around town. Things just look beautiful. And we were looking at uh, today at the young growth coming on the Yakusa Mena rhododendrons that have fur all over the leaves and that's one of the indications of how cold hardy they are but they look so cool right now well you know it was funny because uh we were working in a landscape i'm sorry i can't remember where and uh gabby was with me and she goes this rhododendron has fur i said yeah look underneath its leaves it has fur down there too and it's it's brown down there and it's white on top and she goes wow i said they're really cold hardy i said they come with their own coat that's right they do and they found them in the early 60s late 50s in an isolated area in northern japan and it was way further north than they ever expected to find rhododendron like that well they're fabulous and one of the things i like about them is not only are they so cold hardy but they're pretty even when they're not in flower. They're a beautiful plant, and they're tough, and so far they don't get any of the rust or brown spots or any of that. Haven't had any on that. On right, them. and it maxes out at, at the most six feet. That's as big as it gets. Although it gets wider, it doesn't get any taller, which well, is Well, we nice. have that one that's 75 years old in that box, and it's only three and a half feet tall, maybe four feet at the most, but... You know, it's it's never going to get tall. No, I know. I was just thinking about the ones we planted at the Reifensteins years and years ago. And, you know, they were four and a half feet tall then. And they were four feet wide. I mean, they're beautiful. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, they're very manageable and uh, beautiful in flower. And they are the type that come in bud in one color and open to another color. Which Isn't that cool? Which is really cool. Yep, transformational. Yeah. Really exciting. And I haven't seen any of the the beetle damage on them, the root no, weevil damage. No, not right. They're I, really resilient. Mm-hmm. And uh, speaking of the root weevil damage, if you have any of those rhododendrons that have those marks, those bite marks on the edge of the leaves that look like they're little ovals t- bit out of the edge of the leaves, now is the time to start dealing with that. Half moon shaped. I mean, they're precise. They are, aren't they? They look mm-hmm. like, they're all identical too. It's like right. a, a surgeon stamped them out. Right. So if you're interested in this, Talk to me on the on the telephone, and we'll talk about that. But those are root weevils, adult root weevil feeding on the leaves, and that indicates that the babies are down there eating the roots. And now, when the temperatures are like they are now, and the soil's warm enough, is the time to apply the the parasitic nematodes. And they they don't just attack rhododendrons. The rhododendron is a prime plant that they do attack they also attack certain types of trees uh-huh. and other kinds of shrubs too but right. that's but that's something that we can easily see it see on. in a rhododendron is uh-huh. because it's an evergreen that it, the bite gets taken out of the leaf right and 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 everybody looks at the rhododendrons where you don't look so much at the damage done to like a fir tree you know because it's big it's way up there this well stuff and you always on. think that it's winter or, or something else when really it's the the larvae down and around their roots uh-huh. and and margaret's really right about that because the larvae around the roots killed some really big beautiful fir trees at the park shore condominium set mm-hmm. and they were five or six trees that were easily two feet in diameter two and a half feet in diameter 
and 25 feet tall and they were beautiful two years ago and it only took two years for them to go into serious decline and then be dead yeah well anyway um the other thing is that so what i'm saying excuse me for interrupting what i'm saying is right now is the time to apply the nematodes and we have them in stock they're not very expensive it's a good thing but they're particularly they're particular to that particular pest so if you've got brown spots or other kinds of things, they don't do anything for that. But for those pests that cut those half-moon shapes out of the edge of the leaves, they're perfect for that. Okay. And we're going into let's fertilize our shrubs and perennials again season. You know, it's time to get the fertilizer out there. Mid-season, everything is just booming out of the ground and using all the nutrients they can. And while the weather's nice, make sure that your ground's not dry, but make water it first and then fertilize peonies roses rhododendrons mm-hmm. and you're doing spireas, it now for next year's flowering you're fertilizing now for next year's flowering and so, for giving them the food to have the starch to get through the winter time you know we had an extra month this year we're we gonna have an extra month next year too you can't predict those things and so they build up starch to survive through the winter and um, I saw that somebody on the internet was looking for asparagus, David. I think we ought to talk about when to order things in the horticultural world for your season's That's desires. a good idea. Because, you know, a lot of people don't have any idea. They think things are available all the time. Right. So in the, in the horticulture and nursery world, everything runs from August to August. August is when all the the buying and selling for the next season goes on. And the pandemic has thrown this way off because they've gotten in, people are so into gardening that they've gotten into two years worth of stock supplying all the garden centers down south that it's hard to get a lot of things. So we're ordering and have been ordering all along with our longtime suppliers saying, and next year I need this and this and this. But in terms of vegetables and uh, the territorial seed and the people that you like to do business with, you know, you need to get a, a, a roster of events. When are things available to order? Because that's all mail order things. And, right. And it's a, another type of availability. And they sell them in the early spring, but that has to have been produced now. You know, for it to be of a size they can sell it, and asparagus or strawberries or something like that, that's one or two years to get it to saleable size. And asparagus, I think, is going to be a tough nut because the heat has damaged so much vegetation. I'm not saying they're not going to be able to have it, but, you know, you look at the, the crops that we just had brought in, and some of them have been severely impacted by the heat down south. I had a conversation with one of the hydrangea growers this last week and he said that the crop that they're sending us this next week had been damaged by the heat dome and i said the heat dome said yeah we've had two weeks of 120 degree weather and the crops are not at all ready for that and they just burned their heads off right but we're buying now a lot of it for next year i mean not that we won't sell some now but but uh, we can prune them up and and give them cooler weather and they're going to snap right out of it but you know, it's really been harsh. And I think about all the agriculture that's been impacted. Oh, you think about it, you right? Know? Fields of strawberries burned to the ground, all that. Just Cilantro, parsley, things that don't want it that hot. 
Yeah, scary. So we were lucky enough to be able to buy hydrangea bushes bare root that we ordered last year at this time of year, and they came in the early spring, and we planted them then, and they're just beginning to show their flower colors now. So, And they're about five gallons. They're a nice big size. Yeah, they're about four feet tall. We have two sizes. We have the tall ones, and we have the two gallons that just came in that look really nice. Mm -hmm. And hydrangea, the the kind of hydrangea that grows and is hardy here, doesn't have those round ball-shaped flowers that you buy from the florist or you can buy at the mass marketplace. They have the long flowers that look kind of like lilacs, long pointy flowers. And uh, they come in different colors. Some of them are, are white and stay white. Our favorite one right now is one that starts green and ripens through pink to dark red. And it's really a good looking shrub. It's called Quickfire. And uh, that's what Margaret's talking about. We've got two sizes of those in stock now. So you want to come up and look at them. The buds are forming on them. And uh, God, they're so cool. And the leaves turn burgundy color too in the autumn. So get a, a triple banger there. Right, they're very nice. And they, what I love is they start blooming now and they bloom until the end of October, along with the Roseanne geraniums. You know, it's hard to beat. And the flocks. That is the a great color combination, is, isn't it? And the summer flocks does well. And, uh, and we have a crop of Monarda coming in that people have been looking for that since early spring mm-hmm. bee balm so, is what it's called so have we <laughs> uh-huh. that's right begging for it and bee balm is also the flavoring they use for earl gray tea is it yeah bergamot bergamot that's the european name for it it's bergamot and uh, we call it monarda or bee balm and there are people that make pesto out of it here but as an ornamental, it is so cool. The colors are so brilliant. And it's so aromatic, too, just in the garden. Uh, and it's a big bee attractor, if you have any bees. If there's bees, any bees and hummingbirds and butterflies. All kinds of pollinators go for it. Now, we ordered the dwarf ones because I like them because they bloom mid-season like now. And when we do get our rain and our storms, they don't fall over like the tall ones. You know, they're... They're still eight inches tall or ten inches tall, but they're not a foot and a half. Right, or three feet even, with the big, big old-fashioned ones. So this is a call-in show. If you'd like to invite us to come and look at your yard, or if you want to invite the whole world to come and look at your rhododendrons, five eight six one eight hundred gets you to KINY's on the airline, and we'd be glad to talk about whatever it is that you're interested in talking about, like lawn fertilization or how much lime to put on or any of that stuff i was at tyler rental this week renting some more equipment god it's such a pleasure to walk into a place that's got everything you could imagine you know i mean the power tools the safety gear the marking equipment and the and the kind of new stuff new technology for the the homeowner and for the small contractor as well as being able to rent anything in the world from them a delight to go there and uh tyler's open today this is their short day so they're going to be closed i think at probably noon or two o'clock today so if you want to go there make sure to get there early other than that go there on uh during the week and stand in line because there's always plenty of people working there a great place to go for equipment and equipment repairs and, and just be kind of inspired all right well um there's still a lot of beautiful things at the nursery. We, we transplanted all those trees this week into the soil that I made, and uh, they all look happy. 
being in bigger pots, having more room. And we just got another shipment of material, including all these new irises that are and daylilies. And God, there are some fantastic new irises available that are are Siberian iris, so the kind that gets about oh waist high to me, with the long, slender, tough-looking blades, and the colors on them are purple and bright yellow and real unusual colors. Real unusual. They look like like they look like pansies, really. When I think about it, because the colors fade into each other like that. I think of them as watercolors. Um, you know, they're mm-hmm. really, really pretty. Really sweet. Mm-hmm. Really, really sweet. And our bearded iris look like they're getting ready. They, they were all transplanted early in the spring, and they, they need to come out more in the sun. There's not many kinds of bearded iris that do well here. So if you see somebody who's got some in their yard, you know, you want to make friends with those people and be able to get a little bit of it. Because getting it out of somebody's yard just makes you sure that they're going to be able to live here. Uh, Margaret's saying about moving the trees up, and if you have things you need to transplant... Now that the springtime rush of growth is over, it starts getting to be transplant time. So you don't want to move them when, they, when the growth is so young and, and succulent that it'll lose so much water. But now that the wood's starting to get hard on them, you're able to move things around. And remember, the first thing about moving something is making a place for it to go. Before oh. you pick it up. That's right. <laughs> Never pick it up before you got a place to put it down. It's really, really true you when have you're looking to dig at a hole. You, know, you have to dig your hole and get the soil all ready for, for the transplant because so often people dig it up, put it in their wheelbarrow, and leave it there till it dies, and then it never makes it into the ground. So if you Not dig the uncommon. hole first, it goes directly into the hole and has a much better time to survive. I heard somebody describing the, the lesson they had learned working on one of our landscape crews, and they were talking about using the tarps to transplant the balls. Mm-hmm. And I thought, yeah, at least some of the knowledge trickles down how to make it happen. Not, never to grab them by the trunk and pick them up with all the weight hanging on the roots. You're right, because the soil falls off, and so do the roots. And so do the roots, that's right. So uh, among this stuff that we have from the... And so what David means by that, let's just talk about that a little bit. So we often get hired to transplant trees and we can't always use machinery which is what we really like to use uh so we have to do it by hand and so you have this tree that weighs i don't know 600 pounds or something like that that you have to try to pick up and move to another site uh first you dig it wider than deep and the hole you're going to put it in the hole you're going to put it in and uh Plants here grow out. They don't grow down. It's too inhospitable down. It's too cold. It's usually got rock or clay or something. So just like in the forest, the wads of the blown down trees are really wide, but they're not very deep. That's the same in your garden. And um, when you dig your tree up and you have it free in the hole and all the roots have been cut and it's ready to be transplanted, you take your tarps and you double or triple them up by making them folded in into a strong fiber you know instead of having it just be one big flat tarp you cover you fold it and fold it again so it's a a third of its size and you rock the ball of your tree one direction and slip that underneath it like it's a sling and then you get another tarp and you rock it the other direction and you end up making a cross 
with your tarps so you have four corners underneath that tree that you have four strong people to pick up pick up the ball and carry it to its new spot and that way you keep the soil intact the roots intact and hopefully nobody gets hurt by uh, picking up that load and taking it and of course if you have some kind of cart or something you can set it on it makes it a little easier depending on how far you have to go yeah once you're able to get it up out of the hole then you can put it on a dolly or a cart but it's really hard that transition of getting it out of the hole and up onto the ground so you can move it around that's a big thing uh-huh. and you don't want to like margaret said you'd never want to let the roots get torn away because once that stuff slips away you know it's not it's incredible how well we move how that, difficult it is for the tree to regrow that stuff we moved that uh Katsura, was it, for Tim? Was that a Katsura? It was, a big one. Boy, that was big. It had grown in that spot for a long time. It, you know, it must have been two inches. And it looks good now. I was looking at it just a couple of weeks ago. You know, new growth all over the top of it. Took Very it out pretty. of the shade and put it in the sun. Yep, sounds great. So, uh, the Japanese yews have made their new growth which was so pretty looking at the edges of them. It always, it, you know, it's kind of like decoration on them with the new growth on all the tips and it's so bright green. Again, and now it's all going back to the dark green steady. They look just great. They do look pretty. They're uh-huh. so big. And Japanese yew is a shrub that'll grow on the north side of your house facing the glacier or on the south side of your house facing the channel. So it's a, a multi-purpose, multi-situation evergreen and that's what the hedge is around the governor's house so as far as an evergreen shrub for us in southeast alaska that's really a wonderful you one. know in that hedge you pruned what three years ago yeah i guess so it's finally recovering and it's all coming from the heart and coming forward you know by next year you won't be able to tell it's been pruned it's really looking good i don't Mark, know if you've seen the growth on I it this year i saw it a month ago yes and i was quite heartened no, mm-hmm. it took it a couple of years to really kick in, but now this last year, it's growing back considerably. Well, how old do you think that hedge is? I mean, it's old. Oh, I bet it's 75 years old. Right, and so when you take something evergreen and you're pruning it as hard as you had to prune that so it wasn't sticking out in the road, um, it takes a while, but they do recover. Mm-hmm. If you drive along and look at the governor's house and turn down, uh, I can't Is it Dustin? Which. It could be Dustin Street. Whatever it is, the one you can turn down, because you can't turn down the other one. Whichever one you can turn down, there above that stone wall, the hedge was growing out over the sidewalk. So a few years ago, the state had me come and prune it back to the stone wall area. And it cut back, and it was all bare, nothing but sticks on that. And you couldn't, you'd look at it, you'd think, this is never going to recover from this. But here it is, a couple of years later, you know. They're resilient. That, that stuff is great for that. It'll grow back from just bare sticks and grows back into leaf. Uh, good morning. We have a convers- uh, call in. Conversations here. Yeah, hi. Uh, I I rescued some uh, strawberry plants. There's one road where somebody had a garden. They've been probably growing wild for 50 years. And uh, they're hardy as all get-outs, right? Yeah. I mean... They're just incredibly hardy. Nothing's going to kill them. And they grow really great. The only problem is they don't make strawberries. I mean, they're very, you know, minimal strawberries. And I was wondering if a person could take some strawberry plants like you grow in the store that grow big strawberries 
and grow some plants like with them and put them in there so that they make a hybrid. Is that a feasible thing? Because I've fed them with 830-216 and the plants grow great. They just don't make even reasonable sized strawberries. Anyway, what do you, tell me what you think. I'll tell you on the air, okay? Thanks for calling in. Okay, so the deal about strawberries is that they make their fruit in August for the next year and they hold it embryonically down in the heart of the plant in the incipient flower. So that's when you have to make sure that the plant is is fed and watered and weeded. And, and they don't like competition, so keeping them weeded is a good idea. But the strawberries that you see that are in the grocery store that are great big, they have been bred to be like that, and they're an enti- almost an entirely different race. And when you say you want to get a hybrid, remember, to get a hybrid, they has to go through sexual action it has to be that sounds sexy there's nothing (laughs) as sexy as plant breeding that's what Uh, I believe so you have to have seeds and go to another baby crop and get them to come on and that way you can get a hybrid but if you just so you have to do it with seed yeah, you have to, it has to go through seed in order to be a hybrid. Other than that, they're just two neighbors growing next to each other. And can you buy strawberry seed? Because I sure. see the seed on the strawberries, but how do you get them to be, you know, something you can sure, use? Sure, you can buy strawberry seed. And that's what those little dots are I on know, the outside I of the know. strawberry. Those are strawberry seeds. And you can you can uh, germinate them and grow them yourself. You know, they're, that's, how, that's how it all works. And once they grow and they have their little runners coming off, that runner is still exactly identical to the parent plant. So no matter what you do or plant around it, it's not going to make any difference to the size of the fruit there. The only way you're going to make any difference to the size of the fruit on those plants is during August feeding them for the next year. So but we'll, you don't do a lot of nitrogen. So will, I mean, genetically, wild strawberries, if these were in indeed wild strawberries from someplace here in Alaska traditionally are small but not too small smaller than what you see in the grocery store but usually oh, much po- smaller po- but much more powerful in flavor tiny tiny little things the size of the tip of my little finger that's how small the wild strawberries are but that wild strawberry that we have here bred with the wild strawberry from the forests in Europe is what gives rise to the modern commercial strawberry. So the ones that we buy in the store that have berries that are the size of quail eggs, you know, Mm -hmm. those are the product of the crossing of the two wild strawberry lines from different continents. So those are hybrid strawberries. I understand. Mm -hmm. So if you wanted to get strawberry seed, where would you contact someone who supplies strawberry seed? Uh, vegetable strawberry I mean vegetable seed distributors have strawberry seed available but hardly anybody ever does that because what what they do is that the hybrids that they make are so uh, complicated that they now grow those in tissue culture and then have little plantlets which they sell I know but getting back to this this gentleman who called okay he dug up strawberries from somebody's old garden. I understand that. Which were already probably cultivated strawberries and not wild strawberries. 
And so you're saying he should be sure to fertilize them in August to see if he can get them to be bigger strawberries next year. Exactly. And if he wanted to make a hybrid, he should get strawberry seed to plant in near them? If he wants to make a hybrid, he's going to have to to do the work to get it and take the pollen from one strawberry and put it on the flower of the other strawberry and make sure no other pollen gets on there and put a little baggie over it and then let that make a mature berry which will take another year, you know, and and then harvest that and pick the little seeds out when they have to let the berry really, really ripen beyond the stage where you'd want to eat it. And then you pick the little seeds out with a pair of tweezers and you dry them a little bit, wash them off, dry them a little bit, and then you put them on a seed bed. And they're so insignificantly tiny at that stage. But when they start growing, you know, they'll, they'll make just a little teeny, teeny leaf. And then uh, it'll take them two or three years before they're, they start looking like they're going to be big enough to even move around a little bit. So in terms of fertilizer for strawberries in August... What would you recommend? Uh, something that's it's in the range of uh, 5% nitrogen and 10% phosphorus and potash, something like that. So he's been using 832.16. Which is not, ba- not a bad ratio, you see. Right. But you can use just a tiny little bit of it. Where you would use a fair amount for a, for a fruit tree or a rhododendron. Right. You know, but if you're looking for your strawberries, you don't want very much fertilizer at all. Okay. So with so the slow so, so the slow release type of fertilizer that really we good. we do for cold soils yep. might be something he might be interested in getting a small amount <coughs> and f- I have from us for for the strawberries a, he already has exactly and we have a really good organic slow release fertilizer produced by the Canadians for just this kind of use and it is like I think it's like. Three percent nitrogen and five five something like that. So, so it's David, very slow. David has this up at the nursery, so um, I don't know who it was that called in. But if you want that special fertilizer, you're not going to find it in a store, right? We order it because we, we use it. We keep trying to perfect what it is we're doing, and the soils here are difficult to say the least. So call him up, make arrangements. You can come get us. You know. Yeah. Get a cup full. Yeah. Use it like that. Come, come and see me, and I'll show you what I mean about that. And there's lots of things like that, you know, the things that, that produce fruit. You don't want to give them a whole lot of nitrogen because then every, the whole plant produces leaves and doesn't produce a lot of fruit. So if you're grazing gooseberries or currants or raspberries or any of that kind of stuff, and you're going to fertilize them, you use something that uses a low nitrogen fertilizer. Whereas if you're growing just grass, you use a high nitrogen fertilizer. Let's not talk about grass. I have something I want, <laughs> I want to talk about. I want to talk about Randy Hulse redoing the doors in my house because in my in, my house is a little tiny cottage kind of house, and you walk in and I have seven doors going down the hallway to get to where the kitchen is and the living room is, and I wanted them painted. And he took them. I went to Charlie in at. Uh, Valley paint, and he told me this great kind of paint, and it is fabulous. Really hard, and it's a matte, so it's not shiny, which Scuff is what Cody I wanted. Scuff called it. No, it's called something like that. Scuff X. Anyway, it's really good. And Randy took all my doors and replaced the hardware and, and repainted them by spraying them on and cutting new bottoms so I can put rugs underneath them. 
and it's absolutely changed the inside of my house. And you're I'm so, so excited. And so, Randy Hulse, <laughs> thank you so much. Charlie at Valley Paint, thank you so much. And I just can't wait to get home and have a couple of days off so I can keep painting. Yeah, it does. It's spectacular. And it's really nice to have somebody local that you're able to do business with that knows what they're talking about. Yeah. When you go down there and you talk to Charlie in the paint store, he says, oh, yeah, I I know how to do that. I always listen to Charlie. (laughs) And the color that's on the outside of our house. When you come to Landscape Alaska, make sure to look at the color on the outside of our house. Margaret designed a deep, deep, deep navy blue with lots of black in it, it looks like. Red, a lot of red in it. Oh, is that what it is? Red in the navy blue, Mm -hmm. and it is a spectacular color. And the paint was some kind of water-soluble plastic that shrinks shrinks onto the wood. So the first couple years, it was kind of pliable. You could pick at it. Now you can't get through it with a knife. And also, Randy, you do a beautiful job. And Randy Hulse's construction number is oh three two one twelve sixty nine and thank you so much it's really transformed my life and it gives me great encouragement for my future there you go nothing like it so landscape alaska is open now summer hours wednesday through saturday uh, 10 to 10 to 4 and on sunday 12 to 4 and beth and the young people are there right now doing a wonderful job having everything ready for us all so come and see me and look at this fancy new stuff that came as you're outside cruising around. And We have some oh, fancy raspberries. And for those people that are looking for lingonberries and have been looking, when we sold out earlier, lingonberries are back. Our favorite native ground cover, evergreen with flowers and fruit, is here back in town. So if you want some, come and get them while I've still got them. Okay, and until next week, this is Margaret Tharp and David Lendrum from Landscape Alaska. And we're wishing you all Happy gardening!